through innovation, academic excellence, and family-centered clinical care, Children's Mercy Kansas City is transforming outcomes for children around the world. Welcome to the audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host, Dr. Michael Smith. Welcome to Transformational Pediatrics. I'm Dr. Michael Smith, and our topic is the impact of genetics on statin disposition and response. My guest is Jonathan Wagner. Dr. Wagner is a pediatric cardiologist at Children's Mercy and an assistant professor of pediatrics with the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine. Dr. Wagner, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So how approximately how many adolescents uh, with dyslipidemia are are eligible for pharmacological treatment? So I, I think that's a very good question. Um, we are starting to see uh, with several observational studies over the last few years that more and more children are um, at the cut points to qualify for statin therapy. That actual number is anywhere from 200,000 to 400,000 adolescents uh, based off the studies um, that were previously done. So that is a uh, large segment of our population in the U.S. that would currently qualify for uh, statin therapy. And I think that uh, it's really important to, um, uh, with that increasing number, to really understand how the statins are, are working in the pediatric population. I think yeah, that, and what, what about what about the increasing prevalence of overweight children? How how is how is that impacting these numbers? Do you think exactly? I, it, it's hard to tell what the actual baseline was for for children that would qualify for statin medications because really the observational studies have really been uh, started after the year two thousand and really in this new millennium. Um, I think that those numbers will continue to rise because uh, a twofold. Uh, number one, we're screening patients uh, more effectively in the United States um, than what we previously had done. Uh, the um, NHLBI and American Academy of Pediatrics, American Heart Association, now recommend universal uh, lipid screening on every patient 9 to 11 years of age, and then again in late adolescence to 17, 21 years of age. So we are discovering more patients that have asymptomatic dyslipidemia um, that are otherwise healthy patients. The other big reason is the uh, trend towards childhood obesity um, in our country. A third of adolescents now are uh, defined as overweight, and with that trend, we're seeing more patients that are at risk um, for uh, coronary um, uh, problems later on in life, and dyslipidemia is the major cause of that. Do you, when it comes to adolescence and, and when it comes to measuring uh, the lipid profiles, are, are, are the pediatric population, are, are you guys going more into some of the more advanced you know, lipid analysis, not just the standard total cholesterol, LDL. I mean, are you guys actually breaking down the LDA, LDL subtypes? Are you doing more advanced testing in, in kids? At this point, um, I don't think we've done as much in terms of the advanced uh, testing like our adult counterparts. There are some pediatric centers across the country uh, that are uh, subtyping uh, the uh, lipid profile uh, to a greater extent. I think at this point, it's uh, more of a uh, research uh, endeavor as opposed to uh, the actual clinical implications. But 
um, I think is important to appreciate that because that may refine our guidelines for the future in the pediatric population. And what, what about, you know, when, when uh, pediatricians are, are speaking to, to their patients and the family, what about having that, that conversation about sugar intake, right? I mean, how important is that conversation to this whole dyslipidemia conversation? Absolutely. I, I think the two are, are, are uh, very much linked um, in the sense of uh, what we've already described about the increasing uh, overweight uh, uh, adolescent population in the United States. Um, the, uh, the harm of, uh, of a, uh, a poor diet um, not only can accelerate the atherosclerotic process, not necessarily in childhood, but in young adulthood, um, but it can also uh, lead the patient potentially at risk for other comorbidities, um, more specifically um, uh, diabetes. Um, and uh, we know that um, when those two disease processes are linked, uh, meaning the dyslipidemia and uh, diabetes, um, it right. places the patient in an extreme risk of um, having a coronary intervention very early on in life. Right. Tell us about the cardiology pharmacogenomics repository that's been established at Children's Mercy Kansas City. Absolutely. Um, The uh, cardiology pharmacogenomics repository, kind of conveniently named the CPR, uh, is our our acronym. um, And we hope to prevent CPR um, by (laughs) really this type of uh, preventive treatment uh, later on in life. But um, I developed this um, biorepository at our institution uh, during my cardiology fellowship training and clinical pharmacology training. The purpose of this repository um, is really to collect uh, biospecimens and eventually isolate the DNA on patients that are seen in a, in a number of our clinics, our cardiology preventive clinic, uh, our uh, weight management clinics, our endocrine clinics, and nutrition clinics. Any patient that's really at risk of, of cardiovascular disease can be enrolled in this biorepository. Once we have isolated the DNA, uh, we're able then to uh, run genotype analysis on um, anything that we're really interested in related to cardiovascular therapeutics. What we have targeted so far um, in the biorepository is a specific genotype um, and that is a gene called SLCO1B1. This gene is responsible for um, basically laying the framework for a liver-specific protein that takes statin medications from the blood into the liver, and that's where statins work. So the purpose of the biorepository is, is really um, for uh, that DNA um, so we can run that genetic testing, but it's also a kind of living, breathing uh, patient registry uh, by which we identify uh, gene variants um, or patients that don't have that variation at all uh, to enroll them into prospective studies uh, related to uh, statin or anti-cholesterol medication. Yeah, and what and what you're identifying are these polymorphisms on this on this gene, this liver-specific transporter, and and, and and in a sense, those different polymorphisms affect how statins are distributed throughout the, the body, correct? That is absolutely uh, correct. Um, it's really well described with this specific gene, the SLCO1B1 in adult literature, 
that it can have a profound impact on how well the statin is actually going to distribute throughout the body um, and thereby uh, how effective the medication's going to be. Um, in adult literature, when you have a, a, a variation of, of this specific gene, uh, you have uh, decreased expression um, of the protein on the surface of the liver. Um, you also decrease the functionality of the transporter as well. So if you're not uh, transporting the medication like I said previously into the liver, there's less drug within the liver to disrupt cholesterol biosynthesis. In adults, when you have this variation, um, less of the drug makes its way into the liver. Uh, the drug levels um, in the uh, blood are much higher. There's more peripheral exposure of the statin into uh, the muscle tissue and other end organs. And um, those patients that have that genetic variation are more uh, prone, anywhere from 6 to 16-fold higher increased incidence of myalgia, which is the most common side effect of statin medications. Um, it also yeah. decreases the effectiveness of the drug as well because less of it's getting where it needs to go. So in adults, that's well described. In pediatrics, it's really unknown. Um, um, and the challenge is in a developing child is that same principle uh, occurring um, in our patient population. And that's what we really aim to kind of replicate here. Well, what, Dr. Wagner, how fascinating is all this, right? I mean, from a pharmacokinetic perspective, right? You know, when we were in medical school, we it was really the kinetics were, we thought, mostly influenced by how that drug was formulated. Uh, and, 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 of course, some of the physiology of the patient played a role. But now we're actually able to look at the genetics of a patient and how that influences uh, drug kinetics. I mean, where do you see this kind of research going in the future? And what do you hope to accomplish? So I, I, I think the frontier is extremely exciting. And I think it can have a profound impact uh, on patient care. Um, there are many of our patients that uh, really read the book in terms of how well they respond to medicines, um, um, but there is a sub-segment uh, of our patients that don't respond to medication um, or they respond too much um, and are prone to adverse effects. And it's really trying to capture those patients that are kind of the outside portions of that bell-shaped curve to where pharmacogenetics really comes in. Is there something else um, that we need to appreciate when prescribing uh, these medications and many other medications uh, to the developing child. And to your point with the pharmacokinetics, I think what we find and what's fascinating is where these medicines are going um, in, the, in the patient. Um, and it's really taking a, a really hard look at not only um, uh, the response in the medicine, but what's happening in the whole pharmacokinetic profile, so the absorption, right. what, what's yeah. going on there at a transporter level, how is it getting distributed in the body, is this medication like the statin preferentially going to the brain, um, which is a very troublesome thing in a developing right. child that hasn't matured, how is the body getting rid of the medicine? And at every one of those points, pharmacogenomics could um, have a potential impact. Um, and then you throw in the pediatric population that is developing, and some of these transporters might not even be matured. So is there really an impact of pharmacogenomics in a developing child, a moving target? Well, that's really our passion here, 
um, at our program. So, I tell you, um, Dr. Wagner, that's fascinating, fascinating work, and um, I know that it's it's going to reveal a lot of things that we don't know about pharmacokinetics and, 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 as you said, where these drugs are going and how that can influence dosing and side effects. So I want to thank you for the work that you're doing, and thank you for coming on. You're listening to Transformational Pediatrics with Children's Mercy Kansas City. For more information, you go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 